So you, you, your entire life, you've been a comic book guy, big comic book nerd, as people call it. Yeah. Is that a nice thing Probably. to say? It's not nice. Do you don't mind it? It's it's not a mean thing yeah. to say. Right. So <clears throat> what I was wondering, and I was talking to my son Toby about it. We were doing yeah. like a quiz. Like I want to hit you with a t- quiz and see how well you know your oh, comic book I'd history. Oh, I'd love to do that ready? stuff. Uh oh. So let's do it. You ready? We'll do a couple. This is one through ten. It'll go quick. You ready? Okay. Yeah. Go ahead. Okay. Superman is known for the as the world's greatest superhero. His alter ego, Clark Kent, is a mild-mannered reporter for which newspaper? The Daily Planet. Very good. They get harder. Don't worry. I know. I'm sure they will. I'm nervous. In the, I don't even know what this means. Shaking in, in my boots. In brightest day, in blackest night, no evil shall escape my sight. Let those who worship evil's might, might. beware my power, Green Lantern's, Lantern's light. light. Which of these heroes is also a member of Green Lantern's core? Amanda Waller? No. Charles Xavier? Nope. Kilowog or Snapper? Kilowog. No, okay, dude, don't say it like it's, everybody should know okay, that. Okay, all right, sorry. Kilo- right. Kilowog. Kilowog. Your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man may be famous, but poor photographer Peter Parker lives in a cruddy apartment on what street in New York City? Chelsea Street, Broadway, Roosevelt Avenue, or Astoria Boulevard? Chelsea Street. Is that right? Let's yeah. see. Yeah, you got it. Look yeah. at you. Yeah. I know, because right. I live in Chelsea in New York City. Well, you that's did. Where I lived. Right, that's yeah. where I lived. Yeah, past tense. Past tense. Now you're back here with us. John Constantine is a magician, demon fighter, and all-around do-gooder, but he's got one pretty serious vice. What is it? Gambling, overeating, shoplifting, cigarettes. Cigarettes. You did it. You got it right. Let's stop now. But I, it's pretty impressive. You did. You got five. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I do. I do more. But we got a really great guest. I've really been looking forward to this one. Go ahead and enter. We got two guests, really. Yes, we oh. have two guests today. So yeah. we've got one new and one one new and one re- returning. So um, we are very happy to have Natalie Hakala on today. She is well known as a sprinter. She's got a, I believe, a record. And, and Natalie, you can correct us on it when we get there for the eight hundred meter sprint. Natalie is also a COVID long hauler, a term that we never thought we'd be talking about, but uh, here we are, and we are going to be talking about that today. So we're very happy that Natalie has chosen to speak with us today and be a little bit vulnerable and tell us about her journey. Yeah. And we also have Dr. Elizabeth Murray, the head of pediatrics at Strong, and she is going to be here to help guide the conversation and, as you said before, make us, make look, us look a little smarter. Make us look yeah. a little, well, yeah, like a, we, yeah, a, a lot, lot smarter. smarter. <laughs> a lot smarter. Yeah. So uh, we uh, welcome to these two fabulous women. Thank you for joining us. Hey, all. We'll do a little thing. Little yeah, a little clap. applause. Let's bring them in. And um, na- yeah, before we get started, before we get uh, in, into all the details, Natalie, just the, the, the first question has to be, how are you doing? Yeah. Go for it. Um, hi, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Um, I would say right now um, I'm doing all right. I definitely am improving since um, I was last talked to. Um, it's definitely been a really long journey because I got sick in July. Yep. Um, so I was had those original first two weeks of mild discomfort. Like I wouldn't say it was severe or anything like that. Um, but my severity came much later. Um, and so I would say it kind of built to like a peak about September ish was probably like the worst of it for me. Um, and now it's like, I kind of plateaued there for a couple months and now I'm like slowly coming down and now I'd say it's like plateaued again. Okay. Um, so I'm able to do like some activities now, um, at cardiac rehab, they let me jog for a minute. 
um, like literally 60 seconds and then I walk um, and then I jog for 60 seconds and I walk again and that's usually like the max I'm able to do. Um, at home, I still mostly sit down most of the day. Um, so I'm not doing a lot of outside activity outside of my 30 minutes of um, cardiac rehab I do at home or even at um, when I actually go in. So I would say I'm definitely doing better and I'm improving. Um, it's just going to be a really long, slow recovery process to get back to the level of activity I had and where I'm at. So, Yeah, and, and I'm, I don't want to bring back any bad memories, but from, from what I read and I know and I saw your um, – your, your time on the Today Show, I know that there were times where you even tried to, when you first started to try back running, you barely got to the corner mm-hmm. and you were just yeah. exhausted. You're, you you, could, you yeah. could barely breathe and then even making a cup of coffee could make you just exhausted. So it's- it, Yeah, it's, I've come a long way. Yeah. <laughs> that. For sure, for sure. Yeah, I would definitely say, so those original um, first few months, so I would say August, September, October- were definitely the worst for me. Um, that was when it was still hard to have a conversation. So just talking right now would have completely exhausted me. Um, I probably would have said three words and had to pause and take a big breath just for reference. Wow. Um, I would be sitting here and my heart rate would be racing. Um, I would not have been able to even be sitting up like this would be definitely really, really hard. I was almost always laying down just because sitting up felt like a big activity at the time. So now that I'm able to sit up, have conversations that came back probably like November ish, I would say early November was when I started noticing I was able to have conversations again and sit up for longer periods of time. Um, so that's definitely like a big, it felt like a big step up, um, at the time. Um, and I tried running in July is when I first tried running, which is what you're talking about. And mm-hmm. I made it um, maybe 100 meters, if that, down wow. my street. Um, and I was like, there's something wrong. I'm not catching my breath. My heart feels like it's pounding out of my chest. And it feels kind of like fluttery almost. Um, and then... I just walked back home. I had my dog with me and I was like, nope, there's something wrong. Like this is not, not normal. And I just kind of originally chalked it up to just being, oh, I've been in quarantine for two weeks. I haven't really moved. Like maybe my body's just still like fatigued from COVID. Like, I don't know how quickly you return back to normal. And one of my friends had said he still didn't think he could do activity very well. So I was like, oh, like, it's just a couple weeks of like discomfort. Um, you'll get back to it pretty quickly. So I tried walking those initial two weeks, um, after I got sick. Um, and then it was just progressively getting worse. My lot, my walks got shorter, um, moving across the house caused my heart rate to spike. It felt fluttery a lot of the time. Um, and then I got diagnosed with pneumonia and that's when I was like, okay, let's just stop trying to, do a bunch of exercise, like clearly my body needs me to like, it's telling me stop moving. So I was like, I'll listen to it. I'll take a chill pill. I'll sit down. Um, and then after that, it progressively got worse until I would say like October, November ish. And then I kind of improved a little bit. 
So yeah. for, a, for a point of reference for people that are listening, Natalie was top of her conference in college yeah. in the 800 meters. And that's that's mm-hmm. equi- what's what, what's 800 meters for people that half a mile, half a mile. So and yeah. she could barely get to the corner of her street. Right. Dr. Murray, are, mm-hmm. is what she's saying, is this stuff you're hearing with or you heard with patients in the past? Yeah, the the spectrum is huge. But first, I have to say thank you for the promotion. I'm actually not chair of all of pediatrics at the hospital. That would be fabulous. But I'm a chair of uh, child health and safety. Child health, right. Child health and safety communication. I'm I'm a futurist. So that's right. Play bigger, go home. Right. Yeah, right. So, you know, this this like everything COVID, obviously it's new and like everything COVID, the only consistency is that everything is inconsistent and um, the variability is huge. You know, the data is starting to really pile up and we're getting a lot more information to try to say, can we predict who these people are going to be? But the symptoms are varying. But interestingly enough, a large proportion of these patients seem to be the ones who had a relatively mild COVID course. And it's hard to know if, if that is, truly related or is it just that of course understandably if you're in the icu for a month and on the breathing machine for a month and then in the hospital for four weeks after that of course you're deconditioned of course you would have problems after after the fact but it's just so interesting that these otherwise healthy people who uh, again have had a really mild course um and don't seem to have symptoms otherwise throughout the course of their day have had this massive step back in their physical conditioning. So with Natalie being a a collegiate athlete and, you know, and a runner of, you know, of all things, you would think, okay, she's a collegiate athlete. She has this probably great lung capacity. That doesn't matter, right? With COVID, COVID doesn't care about, you know, how great your health is. Is that correct? It does not. I mean, yeah. certainly there are risk factors, but unfortunately, we've seen plenty of people who have no business getting super sick, becoming quite ill. That's one of the million problems with uh, COVID nineteen. So, Natalie, with um, you said it, you, you uh, when did you first contract uh, COVID? Um, I got tested July fourth. Okay, and, so you, and it was for me to remember. Right, and it was it was uh, after a camping trip. Yeah, they were out. You were mm-hmm. outdoors. Yeah, they were outdoors. Yeah. And were you the first one yeah. to um, test positive, or somebody else? Mm-mm. No, it was somebody else. No. Mm-hmm. So we were outside. We were like, "Oh, this is a safe activity. Mm-hmm. Like, there's only six of us. We were completely within all state regulations and guidelines, and we're like outdoors. Perfect. Like." That seems like the safest thing. Granted, we weren't wearing masks outside um, or when we went into tents to grab stuff. So, I mean, in that regard, we probably could have improved our safety. But I have we have no idea where we contracted it, um, where Brent picked it up first. I mean, he was the first to show symptoms. That doesn't mean he was the first one Mm -hmm. to have gotten sick. It could have been any one of us. And he was just the first one to show symptoms. So. It's kind of hard to say where we got it, how we got it, um, but we were all outdoors, and all except for one of us got sick. So, mm-hmm. is that? I mean, have and Dr. Murray, have we heard about that before? Because you know, we, it, I think we've been conditioned to think that, like, oh, outdoors is not, and and I've read it as not a hundred percent safe, but I think a lot of people because they want to believe it are like, oh, it's okay to go outside to a ball game or go watch, you know, my kids play baseball. Because it's all outdoors, so you're safe. So when I when I read Natalie's story, I'm like, well, they were all just camping. Now maybe it was in the tents where you know because air stays in there at night. I I, I don't know the outdoor. The, the, what is it with the outdoor myth? 
or is it? Well, a myth? no, I mean, it's, it's not a myth. Outdoors is definitely better because you've got better air circulation, right? We hear a lot about ventilation, 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 and that's really important. But I think the, the key message here is that we, we're not going to get ourselves to a position of zero risk. Everything is going to have some amount of risk right. and we have to kind of balance that risk. And then the other thing I think that's really important is there's plenty of people who are doing everything right and still get sick. And so, you know, kind of trying to figure out how sometimes these things happened, um, like the case by case level doesn't necessarily always help us, but as a larger, larger scheme kind of looking at risk factors is certainly important, but we do know in general being outside is going to be a lot safer than being in a small enclosed room with other people, especially if you're going to be with people that are not from your household or that you're regularly regularly with. But again, it's it's the tricky part of this. And if it just happened to be where the person who was the primarily infected individual happened to be in that phase of his disease or her disease where their body was really ramping up and they were had a lot of virus in their system, perhaps it was easier for them to spread. Maybe there was a situation where somebody sneezed just right. You know, we just we just don't know. But everything we do is going to have some amount of risk. But there's a lot of things that we can do to, to mitigate that. And the good news is if we're getting more and more people vaccinated, right. we should be able to continue to trend back towards the old way of life. Yeah. Um, so, Natalie, in terms of vaccinations, you don't get any consideration because you're a long hauler, right? You just, you're, you, cause I know you're very young, so you're going to have to, you, you probably have to wait a little bit longer or is that, is it, how does it work with uh, your physicians and whatnot? I actually have the vaccine. You do? Um, I, I work in healthcare. Yeah. I work in healthcare. Yeah. So I got the vaccine for my job. Fantastic. Um, and because I was a COVID long hauler, it did not feel very comfortable yeah. on either. Both shots didn't feel very comfortable. For me, um, my family members got the same shot because um, my mom's a PA, so she got um, vaccinated. And my dad's teacher, so he did as well. Mm-hmm. And they were all totally fine, had no symptoms, felt great. It was just me didn't feel very good. So kind so, of interesting. Yep. So back in July, you, you get the you get the 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 call from your friend. And mm-hmm. for those two weeks, was it? How strong were your symptoms? Because from what I'm reading, it, it actually got stronger after the initial, correct? Yeah. Uh, the first two weeks wasn't um, miserable. There was probably, um, I spent all of my time outside. Um, yeah, I, I read I that you were in a, reading in a hammock sleep. or something and you were, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I didn't want to infect my family, so I kept outside. And thankfully, none of them got sick. So it's one of those I got it from outdoors, but didn't give it outdoors. So um, I spent most of the time outside. So I would say that my first um, week was just lots of taste and smell. Um, I had a really bad headache, but nothing that was like, oh, this is like the worst thing in the world. And then that second week was when I got a lot more uncomfortable when the body aches came, the fever. There was probably one night out of like, or when I had the fever, when I felt like I woke up in the middle of the night and was like, this is why everyone says COVID is so horrible. Like, this is why they say it's so bad. Because it doesn't feel like any other fever I've had. Like, I've had, I was sick last December, and it was, I didn't run for a week, and I never do that. So, like, the fact that this fever felt worse than that one to me, I was like, oh, that's not a good sign. Right. And then they later, my my fever broke, and I was like, okay, like, I must be past the worst of it. They say it only lasts two weeks, so I'm probably fine. 
Um, and then sure enough, I get my fever broke the day before I got on quarantine. So I had to be, or two days before, whatever it is, like 48 hours fever free before you're allowed to leave quarantine. I think is what it is. So I met that requirement and then I was good to go. So I was like, sweet, I'll go back to my <laughs> daily life. And yeah, that was not the case for me. So an MRI showed that your heart was uh, yep. having some issues. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So I initially went to the hospital or the ER um, early August, like that very, very first week. Um, they did a bunch of blood tests. Um, everything came back fine. They did. They checked my cardiac enzymes. I was fine. Um, everything looked normal. My heart rate was a little bit elevated, but they're like, it's probably fine. But they're using general metrics and my heart rate's typically 60 and I was 80. So they're like, oh, you're just slightly elevated. But for me, that's much higher. And we didn't really put that together at the time. Like I didn't really think about that. Um, so that's where I was the first week. They sent me home. Um, two weeks later-ish, I go back um, because I wake up in the middle of the night completely uncomfortable, severe chest pain. I'm like, there's something wrong. Like, this is not working. And they go back. And the only reason they admit me to the hospital that time is because my oxygen levels are dropping and I was in the 80s. So that's the only reason they kept me. Every other test came back completely normal. I wasn't showing that I was having like any heart attack type symptoms. That my inflammation levels looked good. So they're like, um, we're just going to keep you for observation because of that. Um, they did... A, echocardiogram and it came back normal as well um the only reason we got the cardiac mri because my mom was like look there's these studies there's like one study that showed on athletes who did who had covid and every test was normal just like mine except for the cardiac mri so they were like okay i guess we'll test it just because of this one random study and sure enough i followed the exact same trend as those other um, young people where everything was normal except my cardiac MRI. And it showed on both sides of my heart, I had a level of inflammation around it. Um, and they're like, oh, that explains why you're having pain. That's probably what's going on. Um, and so they gave me some other medicines to like help get rid of the, me um, the inflammation. So they prescribed colchicine to me, which I was taking twice a day. Um, and then they also put me on a beta blocker to keep my heart rate from getting so high. Um, so those are the things that the cardiologist prescribed. Um, the lung specialist was like, your lungs are fine. We don't know why you are having difficulty breathing. So that's kind of where they were at originally. Yeah. So all of a sudden she was acting like an 80 year old. You know, I think there's a yeah. lot to unpack there. I mean, the, the getting admitted only because my action level, that's a really significant thing. And 80% is um, low for anybody, uh, especially a highly competitive athlete. I mean, we want most people to be up close to 100%. This is one thing where 100% is something very achievable for everybody. Yeah. Um, but clearly over 92, 93% is when the oxygen saturation is where we most live. And that having that drop down, it might not sound like a lot, but it is very abnormal again for another healthy person. And so if you kind of um, come forward all these months later, we now know that the risk of uh, post-COVID cardiac problems, especially in teens and tweens and, and young adults, is, is very real to the point where we now actually have guidelines and protocols for any child or teen who has coronavirus about 
depending on how severe their symptoms are, they have to go through a stage protocol that involves evaluation of their heart. For some, it's just an EKG, you know, the simple electrical activity test, but some it does involve the ultrasound of the heart, the, the echo and evaluation by a cardiologist. So, you know, she was at the front end of this, but now this is clearly recognized as, as a problem and kids are getting evaluated for it on a regular basis. Thank goodness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what what I find most curious about this is that the the sometimes the after effects are are worse or just as bad as the effects you had when when you had it i've 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 heard of people that have had mild symptoms and then they have to get re, they have to get re, they have to get admitted to the hospital after they're over their quarantine because they've got blood clots or and that that was in mm-hmm. arguably that was some older older people that i heard about friends of my parents but in this case it's like it it's just been this like literally just been dragged out for you it sounds like yeah that's kind of what it was um because my i stayed in the hospital for i think it was three days honestly um when i went that second time so they admitted me kept me for tests and evaluations and um it's it's just weird how my first two weeks were like very very mild um and that's the case for a lot of long haulers i am on some like um, groups where people like talk about like what happened to them. And most people say that their first two weeks was the easiest out of all of the weeks since they've had it. Um, at least from what I've seen, I'm not, I'm sure that's not the case for everyone, but like, um, from what I've seen, most of the people say like the first two weeks were the easiest. Interesting. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, so Dr. Murray, not only do I want you to chime on that, I also want to make an observation because I'm like you, I'm a big facts person. So I have no facts to back this up. I'm just making an observation. I'd love to hear Here from you. Go. And then and then Natalie, <laughs> if, if you experience the same thing. Um, I also I also had COVID, not to the extent that you did. Um, however, in me having it, um, your what Todd's wife My whole having family it, had it. Yeah, whole family, but Except Todd's me. wife. Um I Again, the observation, it just seems that the people that get it, COVID has this, it seems like it has this ability to target either where you're strongest and or most vulnerable. So for example, for me, I've always had sinus issues. So my, like my fevers and headache were like amplified by 20. The rest of my body, no aches, nothing. I could do push-ups. I was just either really exhausted, but seemed to be really on my sinuses. Todd's wife has a terrible, terrible problem with migraines, and her migraines became so amplified, she had to go into an emergency room and get treatment. Um, And then another friend of mine is a runner, not to the extent that Natalie is, or nearly as good or successful as Natalie is, but, but... it, it was all about joints, just a tremendous joint pain, tremendous joint pain. And then with Natalie, with her lungs, it seems like that's one of her strong features. I, I don't know. That's just an observation. I'm probably way off base, so feel free to just whack me right down. But I'm just curious what your thoughts are on that. No, that, that's a really interesting thought. I mean, some of it, I think, can be explained because, again, it's a respiratory virus. We know right. a lot of its production and um, it's area of action is in our nose and our sinuses, right? And because we have that loss of smell, that's one of the really unique features of this, of this illness. Migraines, we know that anytime a person is sick with anything, if they have a history of migraines, any illness is more likely going to make the migraines much worse. 
corona COVID-19 is pretty notorious for bad headaches too. So it's hard, it's hard to say. Um, other people definitely have patterns of illness. It would be interesting to know if the person who had joint pains, if every time they get like flu-like symptoms, do they have those joint pains? Like for me personally, when I get flu-like symptoms from an illness, I kind of have a pattern that my body follows. And it would, if I was to get COVID, who, who knows? Um, but again, this, this illness is so different and so evolving and and not like anything else we've really ever seen that I feel like anything is certainly possible. Um, but I think the key points are is that even otherwise healthy people can still have problems with it. Yes, there's certain people that are at greater risk for the worst outcome of, of you know death and severe disability, but um, anybody can certainly get this um, and really have be down for the count. You know, I think too many people kind of focus on like, oh, well, not many people are dying. Well, actually, a lot of people have died. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> tons and tons of people are still being hospitalized for a really long period of time. I mean, if you can prevent somebody from being in the hospital for three weeks, let's let's do that. Yeah, good idea. That's certainly a miserable experience um, and it has huge impacts on all aspects of your life. So it's uh, it's it's going to be it's going to be ever evolving and uh, full of surprises, I fear, as we move forward. We just hope that the variants coming along don't throw us another big curveball. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, Natalie, during your time, and again, if it's too personal, just let me know, but what, like, you must have had some type of thoughts around it. Like, maybe the night you woke up with that, with the worst headache of your life, or did you ever think, like, wow, maybe I need to go, you know, because my biggest fear was I don't want to go to the hospital. You know, like that was the one thing where it's mm -hmm. like, I got to do what I have to do. And, and whether it was breathing exercises or for me, staying upright seemed like a good thing for me to kind of keep the junk out of my lungs or cough it up as best I could. But but for you, like, were, what were some of your moments? If you want to share them, you don't you certainly don't have to. Yeah. Um, let's see. My first two weeks, I honestly didn't really feel like I needed to go to the hospital. Like, great. It's definitely the weeks following for me that felt like, oh, I need to go in. Um, and the those first two weeks, the, I only thought like once, maybe twice. And I was like, this is why COVID's so horrible. Like, I'm so glad I was like started so healthy. Um, I can't imagine not having been, because I was in really good shape. I had just finished my college career um, and I was still training at that same level. My coach was still giving me workouts and running things to do. So it wasn't like I was severely deconditioned prior to starting. Um, I was still running pretty regularly. I was working um, and stuff like that. So I felt like I started like very, very well off. And it almost felt like my body got slowly taken down. Like, it's like, okay, I do a decondition. The worst it's going to be. Um, it's kind of how it felt for me. And, um, when I had the breathing problem, I remember the first time my mom took me to the ER, I was like, I'm so glad she's taking me, even though I didn't want to like go because I, I didn't want to be like a bothersome to people. Cause like, they're not going to find anything. Like they're not going to know. So I was like, why do I even bother going in was my first thought. And my mom's like, no, you're going, if you can't breathe, you're going in. Like at least we'll give you oxygen. So no, get in the car. Um, very glad she did that. The oxygen did help a ton. Um, so that very, very first week of August is when I was like, Oh, this does not feel good. Um, when I went in the second time, I remember laying, I woke up at like 3am and I was like, there's something wrong. Like, 
instantly knew there's something, something very, very wrong with my chest. I was like, I'm having a hard time breathing. It's, I'm having stabbing pains on the left side. And it, my heart feels like it's like pounding out of my chest and like my down my sternum was just aching. So I was like, okay, like I'll just go get like a heating pack and I'll heat it myself and I'll just like lay face down and see if that fixes my problem. It didn't. <laughs> um, so I probably lasted about an hour doing that. And then I was like, okay, that didn't work. Then I just tried going back to sleep and that didn't work. So then around like 5 a.m. I was like, okay, time to go to the ER. Like there's yeah. clearly, I'm not improving. I'm feeling worse as the time goes on. I took my medication like I'm supposed to and like nothing's helping. So then I went and woke up my mom and she was like, okay, let's go <laughs> get in the car. <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> um, and that's when my oxygen dropped when I started walking um, was that time. Um, they had me do like a big walking test around the ER and as I was walking my O2 sats dropped to like 80 like 80 something so mm -hmm. so right now you're um you you meet with a therapist I, I'm taking is that what you do you work on a treadmill mm -hmm. and you're yes. up to what you um, said how many are you up to a mile no, no. not quite not. I wish um <laughs> I do 30 I'm I'm there for a full hour okay. um but I get on the treadmill at the very, very beginning after they do like my weight and I do some stretching stuff. And then I walk for like 10 to 15 minutes. Um, and then I usually, now I jog for 60 seconds and then walk for two minutes. And I do that a couple times. And then I go back to walking for like another five ish minutes probably. And then I can either do, um, some strength training now that I've been moved up. So I'm able to do some, um, weights or I just go, um, do like an arm bike sometimes, or I just go right to stretching and I'm, I'm done. Um, yeah, but usually cardiac rehab is intended for people who are like post-surgical. Yeah, was... Um, I'm the youngest one in there and I get a lot of looks <laughs> like, are you sure you're not lost? Um, right. <laughs> I had one lady ask me that. She was like, oh, sweetie, I think you're in the wrong spot. And I was like, I wish. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, though. <laughs> um, yeah, that was kind of funny. So, um, so it, must be, of... it must be frustrating, though, for somebody who's, uh, you know, performed on such a high level and that's what you're at right now. Is it frustration or are you like, OK, this is just I have to do this to get back to good? Um, it goes back and forth for me, honestly. Last week at cardiac rehab, I was very, very frustrated. Um because my, they are keep stopping me when my heart rate gets above 150. And I was like, my max heart rate is way higher than that. Like, why aren't you just letting me like go? Like I, they let me run for two minutes, like at the very beginning of February and they let me run for two minutes again. And then they went down to 130 and then down to one minute because my heart wow. rate's just getting too high and they don't know what to do to stop it other than stop me from moving. And so last week I was definitely very, very frustrated with all of it. I was like, I don't understand why you can't just let like clearly sitting isn't doing anything. Running's not helping. Like I don't understand. So I was very frustrated. So I went through all of my, um, <clears throat> my, my Garmin data and combed through all of my, cause I wore it when I was training all the time. Mm. Uh, I've had the same watch for four years. Wow. So I was like, 
sweet, let's find all my old heart rate data and maybe they'll let me run. So we'll see what they say next week. Hopefully they let me run longer. We'll find out. <laughs> yeah, let's hope. I hope it'll be nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I definitely say it goes in phases. Like sometimes I'm like very, very fine and it's like no big deal. I don't mind doing the, like I've always been the kind of athlete who doesn't mind doing the little things because I find the little things are what make you great. Yep. Um, it's in the small stuff. So marginal gains, right? <laughs> yeah. So I've never been terrified of the big thing as long as I'm taking small steps in the right direction. Um, That's great. But uh, everyone has their snapping point, And I think last week was mine. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, so we'll see how much more they let me improve. Um, just because, I mean, they don't know how to help, how to fix it. Nobody does. Um, it's all a guessing game and it's uh, maybe this will help and maybe this won't. And sometimes that's very, very infuriating um, just because I'm used to having a plan. I'm used to having a training program where you go, yeah. okay, this week we do X, Y, and Z. Next week we're going to increase it by this amount of stuff or we're going to take a down week and it's going to be really chill and the week after that's going to be an up week. And I miss that kind of training. Um and a couple of weeks ago, I started going to spin classes um, with my mom. <laughs> and I remember the very, very first one I did was like two weeks ago. And I did it for like maybe 20 minutes. Like it wasn't very, very long. I did the warm up with them. And then I did like maybe one of the sets. And then I cooled down. And I remember thinking, I feel like a normal person for the very first time in months because I was able to actually like, Right. feel like I was working out because walking for me feels doesn't feel like a workout running for 60 seconds doesn't feel like a workout to me I'm used to running for miles and miles mm -hmm. so I'm not finding that like aspect of working out in those scenarios so I've been biking a lot more and I find it way more um rewarding in the fact that it feels like a workout and like I'm actually like working yeah. really hard like I'm used to without the fear of like my heart rate's getting too high or cause my heart rate doesn't get too high when I bike. Um, as soon as I stand up and start doing other stuff, my heart rate goes, okay, we're too much, yeah. <laughs> but sitting down, um, and biking doesn't get it as high as running does. Like I get to maybe one thirty biking, even though I feel like I'm working harder, it doesn't do the fluttering or anything like that. Got it. Interesting. Mm -hmm. So it, it, go it ahead, Dr. Murray. Mentioned that Cause there yeah. actually is um, some information coming out and there's a lot of concerns about people having kind of what she's described this postural related symptoms, meaning, you know, mm -hmm. standing up is legitimately the problem. And, you know, standing up, how hard is that? We do that every day. But, you know, if you yeah. could all think some of us on this chat have uh, reached the phase of life where maybe we can't just jump out of the bed in the morning, right? You have to like <laughs> sit up and put your feet over the bed and take a breath and then yeah. you can get up and go. Otherwise you're too dizzy, right? So we know that that mm -hmm. changes over the course of our lives anyways for a variety of reasons, but some people are more prone to it than others. But what we've definitely started to see in some cases, again, post-COVID or during COVID is this this decrease in the ability to tolerate change normal changes in position. So um, it's it's interesting. You might kind of think like, why, why would that matter, bicycle versus standing? But it's something that is being seen in some people. So, um, Natalie, are you back to working? Um, kind of. Kind of. I work five to ten hours a week, um, and 
I'm doing not my original job, which is a cast tech. So they're the people who put casts on and off, take them off. Oh, wow. Um, make splints, remove stitches sometimes. And um, I'm not physically able to hold someone's arm like this while it's being casted. Right. I'm just not able to help people in and out of wheelchairs like that. I could maybe do it once or twice. And so um, I talked to my job and they're like, you know, like just take it easy. Like they've been absolutely amazing. Um, so I'm not doing that right now. I'm actually working at a home health company It's called signature and I'm helping start a, it's called vivify and it's an at home monitoring system for elderly patients. Oh, that's great. Um, yeah. So I'm helping like start this like new way to monitor people at home. So they're going to get like a little iPad and like, a scale and a blood pressure cuff and a pull sock wow. to be able to determine where their vitals are and they can take them at home. And then all that information gets synced up to their iPad and then sent to my computer or the whoever's monitoring and stuff like that. So I'm helping set that up. Um, and right now it's in the very early stages. So it's not like I'm needed 24 seven. So it's like the perfect amount of helping my brain fog, um, helps me think a little bit better. Sure. Um, and feel like I'm actually able to like do stuff again and help um, yeah. without being too much. Yeah. So I've been doing that for the last couple of weeks and it's been really nice to be able to work with people again. <laughs> no, of course. Um, and, and usually by helping others, you can help yourself. So that that's really great. And mm -hmm. uh, that's something I've always admired in the medical community, you know. You guys are kind of like the Avengers. You're this like ex <laughs> you're this extended team across the country. So that leads me to my my last question for Dr. Murray. Then I have one more question for you, Natalie. So Dr. Murray, thinking about the team, like as much as you can say or can share, I should say, um, when you're meeting with the rest of the Avengers, you know the conference calls, whether it's statewide or I know you guys talk to other hospitals around the country. What's the what's the general vibe or consensus right now on on where we are and where we're going? I think it's a mix of excitement and relief with the vaccine rolling out Great. with incredible fear and frustration with some of the regulation rollbacks in some of the states throughout the United States. Yeah. Um, you know, we are far from done, but we're so close. And the concern of taking huge setbacks um, is very, very real. Yeah. So. We're no. mixed. Next. No, no, and 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 rightfully so. I mean, we won't we won't go down that path. I will no. just say that there's clearly a lot of egos at play that make these one-sided decisions, not thinking about the consequences, just thinking about the optics, and it's it is quite frustrating. So I can understand that for sure. And then Natalie, for you, it's like I know we said how are you feeling, but now I want to. You know, I like to stay in the present, but I think for what you've been going through. How do you think about the next year? I know you're probably taking yeah. things day by day, but are there things in your mind where you're like, by the summer, I'd like to be able to do this or by, and you know, maybe you'll make that goal, maybe you won't, but you seem to be a very goal-driven individual. And I think with competitive athletes, that that's, that's the name of the place. game. <laughs> so just any, any goals for the rest of this year that you don't mind sharing? Yeah. Um, one of my goals is I really want to be able to take a class and feel like I'm able to use my brain like that again. So okay. I've been really wanting to do, I'm looking into taking like a medical terminology class or like a level one Spanish class. Cause those are classes I've wanted to take. Originally I wanted to take those all year. Um, but that did not happen. I had to drop the class 
um, when I found out I was as sick as I was. Um, so one of my goals is to be able to take the class and feel like I'm able to focus enough because one of the things right now that I'm struggling with is like focusing. Um, my concentration is not the same. I keep forgetting words mid sentences. That's why I take a lot more pauses than I used to. Sure. And um, so just getting my brain moving is something that I've been really working on and something I'm trying to get to. I've been reading a lot more and I started with like super basic books. Like um, I started with ones I read in high school. So, or as a child, like I reread Harry Potter (laughs) is one of the ones I read because I kept forgetting, like I read the page and I forgot what I read. And I was like, Oh, I can't like read a new book and expect myself to suddenly remember what's going on. So I reread stuff uh, originally and I just started rereading or reading new books. um, The ones I haven't read and that's been really fun. Um, One of my other goals is I really want to be able to just go for like a half mile run. I don't have a time date on it, but like that's, my goal because I kept putting time dates on it and then being very disappointed when I didn't reach them. So I've just started doing like things I want to get back to. And I want to be able to go for like a full run, even if it's just a half mile at a time, I'll take it at this point. Um, so that's something I want to get back to. I want to be able to go for a hike. Um, I love being outdoors. Um, so even being able to walk up would be awesome. Um, yeah, basically getting back to like, normal activities that everyone else probably doesn't think about but yep. no it's the things it things a lot of us take for granted and yeah. i think it's important to highlight yeah. those things um because we shouldn't take those things no, for granted especially now and going into the future yep. like what the mm-hmm. every 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 moment everything that we do has some type of meaning um, it does yeah i agree yep. um and i didn't realize how much i how, like how active i was like i just thought this is normal. And now I realize, like I was a very, very active individual. Like I would do my morning runs and would go play like beach volleyball in the afternoon when I lived in California. So I was doing stuff all day long and now I'm like, Oh, I can only do stuff for an hour or I can only go see my cousins for like outside for like an hour or two before I get too tired. So one of the other things I really want to be able to do is I want to, be able to like sit and have like a normal day, if that makes sense of just sure. like being able to go like have conversations with people all day, um, is one of my other goals. So, um, one of the ways I'm doing that is I'm going to go, I'm thinking about visiting um, one of my friends in college and just going and like sitting in her room and seeing how I do all day. So that's and, what I'm thinking. And that I'm would be great. Probably on. very therapeutic <laughs> for you. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, mm-hmm. I want to thank both of you. Um, Natalie, one, I, I know it could literally be exhausting for you to do something like this. So I really appreciate you taking the time and, and responding to Todd and yeah, coming know, on the yeah. show. Um, we really mm-hmm. appreciate it. And uh, we know you've been on much bigger shows like the Today Show. <laughs> but uh, coming, to little, coming to our little, coming to our HBO, coming to our little show, we, we really appreciate it and, and really value your time. And thank you for being so vulnerable and, and explaining what you're going mm-hmm. through. And Dr. Murray, it's always a pleasure to have you. Always a pleasure. We'll definitely have you back on as we as we get through this crisis and get closer to the end. But we also know you're busy and appreciate you coming in. And as Todd said, making us look a lot smarter than we are. So I really appreciate that. Yeah. Happy to do it. Thank you. Thank you guys so much. Um, So everybody, we've been talking with Natalie Hakala, a 
COVID long hauler, a competitive athlete, and Dr. Elizabeth Murray, who is at Pediatric Emergency Medicine at the Strong Children's Hospital. Yeah. Thank you both very much. And um, yeah, we'll talk to you all soon. And Natalie, hang on a sec. I want to talk to you yeah, after Natalie, we're done. Don't go anywhere. Yeah, don't go anywhere. We're just, just going to wrap up and yep. we'll be right with hang you. Hang out right there. So I, I saw it on HBO. Yep. I wrote you right it's away and story. I said, this is a great story. We should talk to her. And you were like, yep, let's do it. And here we are. And we had to, we had to postpone her once. We brought yep. her back and here she is. What'd you think? Hmm? Uh just the, the sheer vulnerability and the fact that so to, for to have somebody at such a young age yeah. that's highly competitive, super talented, and to get hit with something like this and still be able to be like, yep, I go back to work. Yep. I'm trying to teach myself new things. Yep. I have goals. Yeah. It would have been very easy to just cower and stay in bed and stay Woe with your me. parents. Woe is me. Yep. And it's like. No, I've got a lot I want to do in this life, and you you you, ex, you accept what happens to you, and you find a way to make it work. Right. And what Natalie's done is found a way to make it work, knowing that she's going to get better. She is getting better. It's just taking a little more time, and you can't. You know, this is the one thing that you can't control. It's no. just it's with you, and and you can only take things as far as you can go. So great attitude, and I hope. Everybody is walking away with with something positive from that because and, and, well the, the thing huge. I took away from it too is being you know I, I started running in 1986 you yeah. know and I ran races I did five k's ten k's marathons half marathons sure. and just during this past you know quarantine I picked up my running yeah. more in the past year. And I can't imagine like what it must be. That's why I asked her if there's a frustration. Like I would be frustrated now if I couldn't get out and do just a half mile run. I mean, it's right. just got to be so frustrating. And, and and I'm nowhere near her level. Not, near it. Oh not God, even close. Not, a, not so even. So I the can't same imagine universe. what it, it must be. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, I'll be on a walker soon. But yeah. I'm just glad that she's she's doing better and you know she's progressing and she's a, a wonderful young lady. Absolutely, That's great. great inspiration yep. for everybody. Say goodbye, Love George. It. Goodbye, George. Goodbye, George.